Welcome to the Advisor Arena Podcast with your hosts, Jamie Malm and Josh Watson. This show is designed to share ideas and help you gain insight from some of your most successful peers. We will discuss industry news, hot topics, and challenges you may face, as well as give you some possible solutions. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody. This is Jamie Malm. I'm your host for the Advisor Arena Podcast, and I have a special guest this week. I know I say that every week, but truly, I'm so excited to have Barb Gulen joining us today. Barb, you are the co-owner of Safe Harbor Financial Planning Group there in Kansas City. Yep. And you and I have known each other for what, 15-ish years, maybe? Close to that. Close to that. I mean, I remember you carrying little ones on your hips that could now probably give you piggyback rides (laughs) everywhere. Ah. I know it's sad. Yeah, that time just blew by. But you and I have had the opportunity to work together at least for more than a decade. And I have seen the role you play in the lives of your clients, which has been incredibly impactful. And I wanted to bring you on today. There are a lot of topics we could discuss, but one in particular felt the most applicable and compelling. And I know it's something you and I are both very passionate about, which is talking to women about money. Yeah. I, I mean, money is a taboo enough subject in our culture the way it is right now that it's hard to engage in a conversation about it. But we as women who can talk about pretty much everything tend to clam up when it comes to money. And I really think that a lot of that is because we aren't taught to deal with money from a young age. Uh, I don't think boys are or men are that much either, but any attention regarding finances is usually directed toward men. Culturally, they were the breadwinners, wives stayed home. It's a lot different now, especially in the last couple of years. And it does seem crazy that in 2021, we're still talking about this, but it is still applicable. I want to back up though. And obviously we're going to circle back to, you know, where yeah. we find ourselves and, and how you reach women and how you make that not a taboo subject, but you have not always been in the financial services industry. In fact, you are an engineer by yep. what's the word by trade by, <laughs> by education edu- what do i, I what would, do i say there? i would say by edu- <laughs> i'd say by education because i never actually practiced as an engineer um my i was always good in math and i was good in science and truth be told when i was getting ready to go to college i wanted to be an english major and my dad told me i'd never make any money as an english major and that i needed to go to engineering school instead so I got through three and a half years of the program and really figured out that it wasn't for me and walked away from all of it and changed my major to English and then promptly left school the next semester to go start working full time. So um, even though I had the education, I really like I still use my education because as an engineer, what it does is it teaches you how to think. And it teaches you a thought process that comes in so handy when working with our clients and trying to put things together for them because everybody has unique needs. 
Some people have too much money and don't know how they're going to manage all of it. Other people don't have enough. Some need to plan for medical. Others have longevity in their history. I was just meeting with somebody today whose mom is 94. And you would think that we're close to being done. And she's like, there's longevity on both sides with family living well into their hundreds. So even though mom still has a decent amount of money, we've got to make sure mom doesn't run out of money. Well, and you just touched Um, on something there that I think is one of the unique challenges that women face and that we are more likely to outlive our spouse, our spouses, right? So if we're not taking control of our financial lives now and really educating ourselves and empowering ourselves to know that we're taken care of, that we have a plan, that we have income we cannot live, that we have health care, who's going to do it? Because we're going to be probably the sole providers for ourselves at some point. There's not going to be anybody else around to help make decisions. That's completely right. Statistically, women outlive men by five years. Couple that with the fact that when it's time to raise a family, start a family, more often than not, it's the wife or the woman that comes home to take care of the kids and steps out of the workforce. When we have a parent who needs care, more than likely it's the woman that steps out of the career role and moves more into the caregiver role. So not only are we more likely to outlive our husbands, but we're also significantly more likely to have saved a lot less for retirement in the conventional retirement vehicles that are offered because of those situations. I think we've talked a lot about the role that women play as a caretaker, especially over the last year and a half during the pandemic, because we saw firsthand these moms that were trying to juggle working at home and teaching children that were at home and taking care of families. I bet everybody listening to this can think of somebody, um, if not multiple people that they know that are fitting into that sandwich generation mold too, where they have a parent that they're taking care of as well as have kids at home. I know I can think of multiple and you're right that not always, but statistically speaking, it is usually the woman. And over the last 18 or so months, give or take, we've seen 3 million women step back out of the workforce. Now that sounds like a big number and it is a big number, but it's even bigger than you realize on a percentage basis women are now occupying the same percentage of the workforce as they did in 1988, which is the year that I graduated high school. So we've eroded 30 some odd years of advancement and growth in the market with one pandemic. Again, not only because women are the caregivers, you know, I, when the kids came home for school, um, It was not my husband that was helping them at the computer, at the iPad, trying to figure out how to get everything up and running. Also, more women and more women are employed in the service industries that took the biggest employment hit with what happened with the shutdowns. 
and everything that was impacted. So I want to ask you, so, I want to ask you about the wage gap and the last statistic I saw, I don't know if this is still accurate, but I believe it was 82 cents on the dollar is what women earn. And it wasn't too long ago. I believe I watched a documentary. Now I can't for the life of me remember where I watched this. Maybe you remember because it wasn't it didn't come out that long ago. Um, but it mm-hmm. it really was an eye opening perspective on the wage gap has less to do with just how we want to pay women less and more to do with the fact that women do more often choose to take a step back to leave their careers for years at a time to raise families or because of you know something that's conflicting in their lives do you see the wage gap so when you meet with families being a something that's still coming up quite a bit for for many absolutely if it's not and even if it isn't an immediate wage gap in what their earnings are now there's definitely a gap in their savings for retirement and have I would say half to two thirds, maybe optimistically 75% of what their husband has saved for retirement. Um, I again, chalk it up to taking, you know, Einstein's eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. So in the earlier years of marriage, when you've got kids at home, the husband might not have been putting as much away for retirement dollar for dollar as they are now, but that money has had an extra 10 years to grow Mm -hmm. over time. And so that gap exponentially is only going to increase. I mean, how many times have we seen that crazy graphic that if you put away two or $3,000 a year from the time you're 20 to the time you're 30, that if you didn't start and never saved anything else, if you don't start saving again until you're like 40, you've got to put away a crazy amount of money to catch up with it. It's not, you can't just put away that $2,000 a year and know that you're going to catch up. So what you're looking at is the, I mean, when we're young, we don't think about saving for retirement and we put off setting aside money for our own needs to start a college fund, to put, you know, the kids in sports or in some kind of extracurricular program to try to help them out and to foster their growth. All of those things are good. Yeah. Yeah. We as women tend to be self self-sacrificing to a fault. I'm just thinking of a personal story here. I remember being newly married, working as a bank teller and I was going in, I, 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 we must have been opening up like a, maybe a CD, maybe a Roth IRA or something. I, I can't remember now, but I remember Brad and I sitting there and we were, we were trying to decide how much we were going to put away. And I said, well, you know, why don't we just put, why don't you just do it? You know, you put it in your name yep. and um, bless her heart. The woman was opening it kind of looked at us and said, well, I, you know, I don't know that that's the wisest thing. So without saying, Hey, 50% of marriages and a divorce, you could get screwed here. <laughs> she, she said, I, I know it sounds like a good idea now, but maybe no, let's, um, take the same amount that you were going to open, but half goes to you and half goes to him. And at the time I thought, why the heck does it matter? But in hindsight, I mean, thankfully we're on, year number 20, but 
it might not have, you know, for many, it doesn't end up that way. And they probably don't think about it. They think, well, we'll just put it in your name or the husband goes off to work or what have you. So here we have women that typically are more apt to be the caretakers. They stay at home or they start work mm-hmm. later. They get a later start on investing. They earn less and they're more likely to outlive. We kind of have a perfect storm going here without even factoring in the normal challenges that people face with retirement planning. We do. We do. And then let's ex- let's take that to the next level. Let's say you've got a couple that's met with a financial advisor. Again, for every person in the financial services industry that is male, for every, let me rephrase that, for every person in the financial services industry that's a woman, there are four that are men. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many, when, how many women vice presidents of marketing on the sales side we have at Gradient in my division? I'm afraid to ask now that I'm thinking about it. Two. Two. Mm-hmm. And Gradient's a very progressive company. Correct. There just aren't very many of us, which is funny. If you take a step back and look, you think, oh, I don't think that that actually is true. I don't think women play such a small role. And then you look around and realize, gosh, I'm the only one here. There's only one other. Yeah. And it's, you know, at a company like yours, it's not a boys club thing. It's a talent pool issue. It's because too many women, I mean, we've been conditioned not to talk about money. We've been conditioned not to think about money. We've been conditioned not to ask about money. So typically when the married couple is sitting there in front of the male financial advisor, men naturally gravitate toward talking to men. Again, culturally, if you're talking more to the woman, it looks like you're trying to hit on her because we haven't figured out how to get past that. But that relationship more often than not is man to man, not man to couple. So when that husband dies five years before his wife is going to die as advisors, there's an 80% chance that that wife is going to go find somebody that listens to her. Sure. Within the first year. Again, you know, there is a massive number market for women out there who just want somebody who can answer their questions, who's not going to shame them condemn them, make them feel like, right, Mm -hmm. right. Make them feel dumb. I mean, I, I joke in my women's events. I'm like, guys, this is what like Vegas, what happens here stays here. (laughs) No question is too dumb. No question is too small. No question is too unimportant. And because my events only have women in them, Occasionally, my husband is the token male to check people in, but he's also under strict rules not to speak up, which works about 80% of the time. Um, Just saying. So I want to stop you there because I want to dig into this a bit. You started hosting women's events, so educational events on topics of finances. How long ago? When did you start these? I started them... Like every good business venture was timed right before the pandemic. Um, We did our first two or three before the world shut down and then moved to a webinar format for a while. And now I'm back meeting with people in person. Um, Women are social creatures. 
I'm sure guys are too, but since we're talking about women, I'm focusing on women. They want to see you. They want to talk to you. They want to make sure you're real. Um, They don't want something that's overly polished and perfected. They want to make sure that you're genuine and that you're typically going to shoot straight and give them an honest answer. Um, I've had women come to my events that had $5 million. I've had other women that have come to my events that literally have $6,000 to their name and are on unemployment. And honestly, the women on that end of the spectrum need more help than the ones that actually have a decent amount of assets because those are the ones that that particular woman who is on unemployment had $6,000 saved, wanted me to open up an investment account for her. And I'm like, there's no way I can ethically do that for right. you. And you've got to your unemployment direction on yes, what, what her options right. really are and have some hard conversations and be willing to step in and help when it may not even be um, monetarily beneficial for you. But that's what women need is somebody to shoot them straight and say, here's what your options are. Here's what's not okay. You know, this is not a path you should go down. Somebody that would just say, sure, let me invest whatever I can do for you and good luck to you from there. That's probably a no brainer, which I think women do very well as advisors. You know, we just naturally connect. But I think it is interesting Mm -hmm. that women, I mean, if I think about the women that I know, myself included, which I guess I'm a little bit different because I do, I mean, I'm in this industry and I am an advisor, but I handle the day-to-day finances for our family. And I think a lot Mm -hmm. of women do, but even the women that handle the day-to-day finances that are making the buying decisions, that are doing the shopping, that are balancing the checkbook, if that's even a thing anymore, they're not involved. <laughs> they're not no, involved in long term no. planning at all, right? They had they they might not even right. know what investments we you know that that they even have or what the plan is or if they're going to be okay. They just surprisingly they're just not involved in those things. They're not having those kinds of discussions. And that's par for the course. Eighty percent of households, it's the the wife that manages the day-to-day, make sure that the groceries get bought, make sure that the t-ball classes get paid for, make sure that the electric bill is paid, uh, goes around and fixes the thermostat when the kids decide they're too hot or too cold. Stop me if this sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. 23% of women are involved in the long-term investment planning. Again, you know, I, somebody hands us, you know, my first job where I had access to a 401k was working for a commercial mortgage servicer, which was a division of a very large securities company in the Kansas city area. And my husband, Adam, uh, had come out of having his series seven. And so when it was time for the 401k, he went in and put everything together for me. He didn't explain to me why he was doing it. This was obviously well before I was licensed. Um, And I didn't know why he did what he did. I just trusted it. I think that there's a lot of people in that place. It really wasn't until, 
you know, I got my first round of licenses in 2004. Let those licenses go when, you know, we experienced a family tragedy and was running, you know, running another business venture and online meal planning website. Uh, Adam was diagnosed with cancer the first time. My family has a history of breast cancer, so my OB decided they wanted a baseline and they ended up finding something that turned out to be nothing, thank goodness, on me. I had a kid in first grade and a kid in diapers. And I realized that even for all of his background in the financial services industry and for what little experience I had, because I had let my licenses lapse, that we weren't equipped financially if one or both of us got sick or God forbid one or both of us had died. We had the estate planning stuff set up. We had guardianship set up. Mm-hmm. And I had a better life insurance policy than he did because I was healthier and could qualify for more. But if something happened to him... I was going to be up a creek. And so that's when I realized that it was women that might be listening to this and thinking, well, I recognize myself in some of this, but where, do, where do they get started? If you're sitting with somebody on a webinar or face to face and they're saying, okay, I'm hearing you. I need to get more involved. I want to be more involved. What do you recommend they do? I think that if they're in a marriage or a partnership, that they need to schedule a time to sit down and talk about it together. If you've got kids, see if grandma and grandpa can take the kids for a couple of hours. Don't do it at nine o'clock at night when you're ready to go to bed. Mm -hmm. But sit down, spell it all out. Figure out what you've got in debt. Figure out what you've got in life insurance. Figure out what you've got in investments. Figure out if your investments make sense for your age or for what you're comfortable with. You know, a 65 year old lady came in to see me getting ready to retire, has been with the same broker for 20 years, uh, speaking a little jargonish right now, sorry. She had a risk tolerance of 44. And when we got back her portfolio analysis, it came back at like a 78. Meaning 78% and of her assets were at risk. Yes. And 44% and actually was, is what she was comfortable with. So she was way out of whack. Is what she was comfortable with. Way out of whack. A lot of single security risk. Mm-hmm. This guy had invested her in a lot of individual stocks. And, you know, last year everybody made money. So she was okay. I'm like, are you going to be okay if you lose as much as he made you last year? Because <laughs> you're in a place, especially with some of these stocks, where it could be a thing. I think so, you know, that's, yeah. that's such a, a simple thing, right? Sit down and organize yeah. and talk through, do we have debt? When is it going to be paid off? Do we have a plan for pay- paying it off? What kind of life insurance do we have? Is it renewable? Is it convertible? Is it going to lapse before our kids are, are, are grown? Do we have guardianship? I and mean, we're talking about for younger children here now, but then as you start to you know, go through a, the second phase of your financial life, which is moving from accumulation to distribution, then it becomes even more important mm-hmm. to know what you have because your years of being able to accumulate and make up for losses and volatility, they're behind you. Now it just is what they it are. is. And if you don't know what you have and have a plan to take care of 
yourself, your spouse, each other, and know exactly where that money is going to come from. That is not a surprise that you want to occur when you've already lost, you know, your husband or you find yourself. Precisely. Um, do you recall off the top of your head what the percentages of widows that live in poverty? It's something astronomical that's just heartbreaking. It's, it's like over half. I can't remember the exact number. Uh, you know, they, 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 they didn't, you know, this particular generation that's retiring now is the generation that tra- in many ways transitioned from the defined benefit pension with the changes that were made with ERISA back in the late eighties into the defined contribution, the 401k, the 403b, all those crazy little IRS numbers that are all for tax deferred savings. So, you know, their parents knew that when they retired, they were going to get X number of dollars a month for the rest of their life and that it was going to come in. You don't know that anymore with a 401k that's sitting there because that 401k, unless you turn it around and work with an advisor and turn it into something that's going to create you a steady stream of income isn't guaranteed to pay you a steady stream of income for the rest of your life. You could very easily say, I want X number, X thousand dollars a year and find out that 10 years down the road, you're out of money. Right. So then what do you do? It amazes me how, how often I see women come to me or other advisors are coming to me on behalf of their clients and these women will say, well, I'd like to retire soon. And my husband has this amount in his pension, but that doesn't cover, you know, both of our lives. Here's what I have. You know, when can I retire or how can we make this work together? And they're just now beginning to look at it on the cusp of wanting to retire. That's not the time that you want to start digging in and seeing, well, do I have enough money? You want to plan for that 10, 15, no. 20 years in advance when you can actually make an impact and change it. When you're ready to retire, I mean, gosh, it's going to be like you mentioned earlier, you missed out on the years where you could have made a difference. The earlier you get a hold of this, the better, which is why you want to educate younger women, right? It's why we want to engage them and open up the conversation about money and make it something that they feel very, very comfortable talking about now. Yes. Yes. And I mean, it's the same with men had a conversation with a gentleman last week working for the federal government. You would think that that would ensure him to have a good retirement. He was injured in a car accident off the job. So he's not eligible for a medical retirement in some ways. Um, long story short, he's put in his paperwork to get his pension and didn't realize until we ran the numbers for him that his federal pension was only going to be $400 a month by the time they take out all the money for health insurance and a survivor benefit because his wife is substantially younger and is on his health insurance. Somehow he opted out of TSP and never contributed to TSP. So he doesn't have that. And oh yeah, he's not even 62 years old yet. So he's not even eligible for social security. Mm-hmm. These things happen to everybody. And the only way you're going to figure out if it's not going to happen to you is to ask the uncomfortable questions and plan ahead 
you know, my sister is, you know, I, I don't think you've ever met her. You'd love her. She graduated from college with a double degree in economics and finance. Her husband lived by the mindset that they weren't going to have debt. They understood the value of compound interest and they both work in the corporate world. So totally different situation than the entrepreneurial life that I've lived. My sister five years ago had eight times the amount set aside for retirement as the average person her age. Why? Because they understood the value of compound interest. They understood the value of starting early. They lived below their means, especially in the early years, to be able to max out their 401ks. They found somebody to work with them at a young age, which a lot of us as advisors, are reluctant to take on the young pups because they don't have a lot of money. Well, guess what guys, they're not going to have a lot of money ever if they're not taught. It's a shame. But because of that, yeah, I mean, they'll be able to retire Mm -hmm. in two years if they want to and maintain their lifestyle because they plan. You have, you know, this, this, mindset of financial advisors that I only want to work with you if you've already made it, if you've already been successful. Well, that is our job as advisors is to help it get is. there. So to be able to step in and serve people well, which is how to create financial freedom and financial independence, that's what I know you and I love doing so much, which is why I wanted you to come on. I love what you do for your clients. I love that you've been able to reach women specifically. So for the women financial advisors that are listening to this, we have a very unique opportunity to make sure that we are being proactive, that we are connecting with other women. And you are going to actually host our Women in Business webinar coming up. Is it May 17th? Is that the right date? I think it's the the 18th. It's a Tuesday. Okay, so May 18th. And I don't want to give Mm -hmm. too much away, but one of the things that I love, love, love that you do with your women clients is set them up immediately to see themselves in a certain personality type. And you're going to share that on the (laughs) webinar. So if, if any of us know anything about how we make buying decisions, women or men, it's always based on an emotional connection, never facts, figures, data, numbers. So if you're wondering, how do I really get women to see who they are, how they're most likely to make decisions, really recognize themselves in this emotional state, you don't wanna miss this webinar. It's so impactful for women advisors so we can go out and serve women clients. And that's really where we can start turning this around. So I will post in the show notes, the link if anybody is wanting to register. It'll also be on our Advisor Arena Facebook page. There's a link out there you can go to. Um, But Barb, you do do a tremendous job. I've loved working with you over the years. Thank you for joining us. It's been so much fun. I'm looking forward to the next 15. (laughs) Me too. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Uh Bye-bye.